Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 658 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, February the 10th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure that you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. If you are an NBA fan still reeling from the aftermath of the trade deadline, want to hear how, say, Andrew Wiggins or D'Angelo Russell or any of the number of players traded last week, did in their first couple games with their new teams, then please make sure you're subscribing to all those corresponding Lockdown shows. Uh, great local perspective on all the recent tradees. Also, we have the Lockdown NHL Network. The NHL trade deadline is coming up. We've got a couple big specials coming out on Monday and Tuesday next week, teeing up every single team's trade deadline from their needs to what they have to trade to how important the deadline is. So make sure you're prepared for that on the Lockdown NHL channel. It's a great podcast over there if you're a hockey fan, just a general hockey fan, uh, to get all the uh, scoops on the different stories around the league. All right, on today's show... It's become something of a tradition. It's Big V Monday here on Locked on Raptors. Vivek Jacob was with us. What's going on, buddy? Not much. Start the week off right, talking to you. And, yeah, the Raptors have won 14 straight, man. Are you talking about the Bangalore Raptors or the Toronto Raptors? Oh, I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, man. Raptors beating the Warriors everywhere. Collecting them chips. You made all that up, right? The, the professional badminton nope. league in India with the Warriors and the Raptors playing in the finals and the Raptors winning in six? None of it. <laughs> you, can, you can go to the Bangalore Warriors website, Bangalore Raptors website, and you can buy merch. And yeah, it's all very real, man. Apparently, it, the league has existed since 2013 or 2014. Huh. So, and they've, uh, they, so by winning yesterday, uh, they actually went back to back. Who knows if. That's maybe a little foreshadowing. <laughs> One can hope. I'm going to need to maybe, you know, I, I have the managerial position with the Lockdown Podcast Network now. Lockdown uh, India Badminton League maybe is in order here. And maybe we'll get you to host <laughs> the, the Raptors show. <laughs> Lockdown Raptors 2.0. Uh, the actual yeah. Raptors played a couple games over the weekend. They beat the Indiana Pacers on Friday pretty handily. 115-106, and then they just squeaked by in the second night of the back-to-back without Kyle Lowry on Saturday night against the horrid, horrid Brooklyn Nets. Uh, let's start with the Pacers game, I suppose, Vivek. This was a pretty fun game. Kyle Lowry goes down, which was not great, but uh, you got a nice Pascal Siakam game in there. You've got a nice, uh, I don't know, this was a, a game where the Raptors just kind of came in and kicked ass. That, that was sort of their thing. Uh, what were your takeaways from that Pacers game on Friday night? as they extend the win streak to 13 before extending it to 14 on Saturday. Um, well, in terms of the game, the biggest takeaway was the fact that, again, as we've seen over the course of the season, uh, that next man up mentality, you know, Kyle Kyle gets hurt, Siakam gets poked in the eye, it doesn't really matter. Um, they just know how to win. They have this expectation of winning. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, no matter what the situation is, that they're going to pull through, whether it was... Uh, the home game against the Pacers, whether it's now on the road against the Pacers, uh, you know, whenever things would sort of, whenever the wheels would come off before, those are the situations they thrive in now. And so, yeah, it's just really fun to watch. 
Um, another, another sort of takeaway, uh, a side takeaway, I watched uh, the game on replay on the ESPN feed, yep. and they opened with, uh, it's always a bit more spicy and exciting when the uh, defending champs come to town, and so that was just nice to hear. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good feeling. Yeah, I, I, by the way, I, I misspoke when I said Pascal Siakam had a good game. He had a not very good game where he got poked in the eye and then missed a bunch of shots because he clearly could not see. Uh, <laughs> but OG Ananobi whipped ass in that game defensively in particular. He had 16 points, which was nice to see him get back on track. But he had five steals. And I, I thought that game, my sort of takeaway from that game, was really from the, the, the fourth quarter when... It felt like the offense was going to sputter without Kyle Lowry, and it kind of did. It was a pretty uh, ragged close to the third quarter, if I recall. They gave up uh, a bit of a run, I think, to the Pacers with a pretty ragtag lineup out there. They had to take Fred Van Vliet out in order to get him some rest, and they had a bit of a, you know, a not-so-offensively-inclined crew out there, which we'll get to with the Nets game as well uh, <laughs> in a very wonderful way. But uh, I thought the defense in that fourth quarter, it like the Pacers should have just stopped dribbling is what it seemed like would have been the best strategy for them. Anytime they seemed like they were trying to, you know, dive into the paint, whether it was Malcolm Brogdon, whether it was Victor Oladipo, it seemed like OG or Fred or Terrence Davis was there to make a strip. And they're just so damn good at that. It's so well-oiled, their, their, their reach-ins and their, and their strip attempts, like, in their dig-downs. I just... That was some remarkable defense, man. And I think the Raptors' defense has gotten a lot of plaudits recently, as it should, and there's been some nice national pieces written about it. James Herbert wrote something really great for CBSSports.com recently. Maybe we'll get him on this week to talk about it. Uh, It's been a while since we had Jimmy Herbs on. But it's just they are a monstrous defensive team, and we saw it in both games over the weekend. Even when the offense is not quite there and it's sputtering and Kyle Lowry's not there, the floor is just so high because of the defense, and they can... And I liked, I can't remember who made this point yesterday. Someone on Raptors Internet made this point yesterday. And I apologize for not uh, properly attributing. It might have been Matt, Matt Schantz from Raptors Republic. But it really feels like this Raptors team has sort of that gear. And someone compared it to like when the Warriors would go crazy and hit a bunch of threes in the third quarter. It's sort of a similar thing, but for defense with this Raptors team, where they can basically decide, okay, you're not scoring on us for four minutes and completely swing a game. And we saw this last season. It just feels even more pronounced this year as everyone seems to be engaged and they're like a year further into Nick Nurse's defense and the schemes and everything. It's just remarkable, man. It's an insanely, insanely good defensive team. Yeah, and I think one of the things that highlights uh, the point that you made about the point that someone else made um, <laughs> is uh, the end of that, that Pacers game, uh, the the uh, the home game, oh, sorry, the Nets game where the Raptors could have gone two for one yeah. um, and I think, I think just the confidence that they have in their defense, it was like, no, let's just get the best look possible, you know, Siakam ends up getting to the line, makes one of, the, one of his free throws and so it's just a one-point lead. And then they just trust their defense to get the stop. And you could see even when the Nets uh, were down, it came down the floor and Dinwiddie had the ball, Kenny Atkinson was telling them, go, 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 go. Because guess what? Against this offense, if you, against this defense, if you let them set, you're, you're digging yourself a hole. And so Kenny Atkinson obviously wanted them to go in a hurry and at least you know get into the foul game if they, if they miss. And so... That's kind of the mindset that I feel other teams have against the Raptors' defense. It's like, 
this is a very difficult team to score against. We're going to have to maximize all our opportunities, uh, which is probably why uh, teams attack the offensive glass more than they should uh, against the Raptors and probably why the Raptors don't rank very well in that area uh, in terms of defensive rebounding. But, uh, yeah, I think they are a monstrous defensive team. I think, you, and, and the fact that they're playing at this level defensively without Marcus All. Um, is very encouraging, and so uh, yeah, I can't wait for him to be back and yeah. just ramp it up even further. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's really fun. It's funny because if you look at the defensive metrics across the league, the Raptors are still number two by like three points behind the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks don't seem to get nearly the amount of sort of praise and applause that the Raptors defense gets, and that is very funny to me. <laughs> and I, like comparing those two teams, so the Bucks, I think we've kind of established so this team that really maximizes the regular season. They do everything they can to win every single game in the regular season, and maybe because of the way they sort of go to the extremes in the regular season, there aren't really more extremes for them to go to in the playoffs, and thus maybe their ceiling is a little bit, you know, closer to where they're at in the regular season than say a team like the Raptors or a team um, that is a little bit more sort of you know, flexible with its defense and can offer different looks and, you know, kind of changes things up and clearly has another gear to get to in the postseason. Although I think this Raptors team is playing pretty hard every night. I'm not sure how much higher their ceiling is than what they've shown, but the ceiling is very nice, obviously, if they're going to be on pace for 60 wins. Um, but in, like, I'm wondering, like, comparing the Raptors and the Bucks on defense in particular, like, do you see like notable differences and I guess what do you think is the difference between the two teams that sort of gets the Raptors all this wonderful credit whereas the Bucks kind of just kind of continue go on holding teams to just over 100 points per 100 possessions and are you know sort of a little bit more slept on when it comes to their defense and the Raptors yeah I mean to be honest with you I do think both teams are do a good job of playing close to their ceiling and I know that that argument can go both ways. I know, you know, when the Celtics, the the last few years before last year, you know, it was like, okay, they play at this extremely high level of intensity and put in all this effort, and then they don't really have a next gear to go to in the playoffs, and that kind of showed. But I feel like with the Bucks and the Raptors, both of them, I, I think for them it's more about, you know, preaching that point of Jack Armstrong always says excellence is a habit. And so I think that's just how they go about every game. And so when they're in a playoff situation, um, that just becomes like a standard level of execution for them. And everything is just muscle memory and uh, they're able to execute uh, on, on both ends. And so in terms of the differences between the Bucks and the Raptors, yeah, it, it is the flexibility that Nick Nurse shows. You know, it, sure, there's some rigidity to the way the Bucks defend, but... Um, their room protection is elite. Uh, I think, you know, the the Raptors and Bucks both give up a lot of threes, but um, I think, again, it's it's the way they give it up. It's who they're giving it up to that that, that sort of allows them to play that elite defense. So, yeah, I, I, I think the Bucks are, they're really great, man. I, I think people do sleep on them, and, you know, I, I get the jokes and all about the, the Raptors sweeping them after the 2-0 lead, but... Let's face it, man. They were they were literally <laughs> seconds away from going up three zero and finishing up that thing. So, um, I think they're they are the team to beat this year, in my opinion. Yeah, they're really damn good, man. I, I 
I, I wasn't meaning to sort of denigrate them at all. I think it's kind of remarkable that their defense is like three points better than anybody else, and no one really talks about it. Um, not to sound like a Bucks right. fan, being like no one talks about us, but <laughs> like it, it's yeah. they're. I mean, the the ceiling that they have, even if there's not much room to grow based on what they've done in the regular season, they're like a historic net rating team and are absurd in lineups with and without Giannis. So it's going to take a Herculean effort to beat them in a series. It's going to take just like some ungodly hot three-point shooting, which, you know, if you're looking at teams that are equipped to potentially take advantage of the threes that the Bucks like to give up, the Raptors are a very good three-point shooting team with shooters pretty much all over the floor at any time outside of when they go with their bizarro lineups where not a single person can shoot, but um, they, uh, outside of Matt Thomas, sorry for the slander, Alex, um, but the the Bucks are, yeah, they're, they're a well-oiled machine, man, and Giannis is so goddamn good, and they just beat the piss out of everybody, and I I still think they are the favorites, like you said. I was just curious exactly why the, the two defenses are kind of regarded differently and maybe it's just because Nick Nurse is kind of like a visionary a little bit and has tried out so many different things and has sort of affected the way other teams have played defense this season in a way that the Bucks and Mike Budenholzer haven't I just think it's kind of interesting that you know the Raptors get all these plaudits while the Bucks are just humming along just destroying everybody and barely allowing a point per possession I think part of that too is just the fact that it's the same reason why uh, Coach Bud isn't really in the coach conversation right I think they got so much credit uh, for the way Bud flipped them last year, and so now people, I think, just view it as oh, same, they're just doing the same old, maybe a little better, but um, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Whereas with Nick Nurse, it was like oh, wow, the Raptors actually won the championship last year. We didn't pay them any attention at all until the playoffs, and yeah, maybe we should pay attention to them now. We're going to continue on talking about the games from the weekend and maybe how the Eastern Conference is shaping up in the wake of the trade deadline. But first, I want to tell everybody about Echelon. Look, we all know how out of shape I am. I sit around, I eat bad food, and I'm, I live a sedentary life. You don't got to be like me. And to get fit in 2020, you don't even have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com right now to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half a price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders and elite athletes, even podcasters like me. Whichever your activity level is, Echelon has you covered. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon because if you aren't 100% satisfied, we're going to give you your money back anyway. Join the 100s, the 100s. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon right now. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A, all one word, to learn about their limited-time free Apple iPad offer and complete details of that exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A, echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Alrighty, let's get into more stuff from the weekend, Vivek. We talked about the defense. We should probably talk about Terrence Davis, who uh, whips an inordinate amount of ass. He's so good, and he got the start over the weekend. Is Terrence Davis finally ahead of Patrick McCaw in the rotation? Uh, I would like to think so. I think that was the biggest sign yet. I think I certainly took it for granted that uh, when the tweet sort of came out that Nurse was still deciding between 
McCaw and Davis to start the game against the Nets, I was really like, yeah, you know, probably going to be McCaw. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it was pretty refreshing to see Davis start that game. And hopefully when the entire lineup is healthy, the entire roster is healthy, that does mean that uh, Davis has pushed himself ahead of McCaw. Um, yeah, you even go back to the comments Nurse had about, you know, the, uh, oh, you know, he has a game like that and uh, sort of wonder why I don't give him more minutes. And so I think maybe this is finally the point where Nurse has finally flipped and realized that, hey, Davis is just a better player. And even if he makes some mistakes, uh, the rate at which he learns from them is worth it for me to just deal with it. And so uh, now, yeah, I, I think with him probably ahead of McCaw in, in the rotation. I think, uh, you know, that's another wrinkle to the offense. Uh, if, if he can keep doing what he's doing, and obviously, the, you know, you get you expect the usage to go down once Norm Ballow is back. But, uh, yeah, if he can be a spark plug like that and Norm can keep uh, rolling the way he has, uh, then I think the Raptors' scoring issues will definitely be uh, helped. Totally. At least in the half court. Totally. I wonder if the emergence of Davis, and first of all, I think he's ahead of McCaw now. Uh, he's been so undeniably good, and McCaw has been so undeniably McCaw over the last few games that I just, it feels like it's tilting towards Davis now. And even the things that Davis gets in trouble for that I think Nurse, you know, kind of, like the things that make McCaw a more sort of viable option than Davis at times, the jumpiness from Davis, the maybe, you know, over-eagerness once in a while. Like, that's stuff that I would prefer to someone who doesn't do anything jumpy or over-eager ever, right? Like, even if McCaw is, mm-hmm. like, sound with the ball and makes the right pass to the next person in the offense who will then do something with it, I would rather the sort of, you know, the high-risk, high-reward of Terrence Davis flying around and, you know, actually driving to the basket and actually firing threes and actually going for steals when, you know, McCaw just kind of seems content to just stay in front of his guy and not make those sort of high-effort and sort of over-the-top plays that Davis sometimes gets in trouble for, but a lot of the time and more more frequently of late is finding success with. So I, I, I think Davis has passed him. And I, it, inter- it brings up some interesting sort of rotation questions I think for when everyone gets back and and look I know Nick Nurse said he was going to alter the starting lineup and, and experiment with different lineups when everyone got healthy and he never really did that he just stuck with the same starting five that they've had all year when healthy um, but I wonder if you know you assume you get Gasol back and, and Powell back by the end of the month or early March and you have a, a month and a half of runway to sort of figure things out before the playoffs I wonder if we might see the like the at long last the change in bringing Fred Van Vliet off the bench and look Fred's been great and we'll get to a Fred Van Van Vliet secure the bag meter in the final segment um, because things have happened since the deadline and he's he had a very nice game over the weekend or a couple nice games over the weekend in lieu of Kyle that brings his contract status into question once again but I wonder if just to sort of diversify the skill sets a little bit you have one of Powell or Davis start, and then you're kind of always set with a sound point guard and steady scoring option as a two guard if you have, you know, Lowry playing with Norm and then Fred always playing with Terrence or vice versa, right? Like, I, I wonder if maybe that just makes more sense instead of having both Norm and Terrence Davis come off the bench and both kind of being the same microwave scorer guy. And look, you can alter the rotations and everything ultimately, and that's fine. It just makes it a little easier, I think, to balance out the rotation if you do have that sort of set backcourt for each 
of the, of your units. I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think we, there's a chance we could see that, or do you think we should see that where maybe Fred gets moved to the bench a little bit in lieu of one of Norm or Davis once they get healthy? I don't think it's something that Nick Nurse would commit to. I think it's something that he'd consider as an option, mm-hmm. especially if the matchups, matchups play out that way and Fred is struggling for whatever reason. And so then, you know, I, I could definitely see that it going that way. But I think at this point, we've seen that Nick Nurse sort of advocates having his best players play the most minutes. And so um, it's just easier to do that, I think, when Kyle and Fred both start. And so they can, you know, in a playoff situation, get up to those. Uh, 40 minute marks and whatever's needed to win the game and so I think you know either way you expect Davis and Powell to play alongside well one of Fred or Kyle and so Norm's playing you know a position bigger than maybe he's best suited to but um, when you're going up against bench guys I don't think that matters as much and so, yeah, I, I think it'll be an option that Nurse considers, but not necessarily something he'll look at and say, hey, this is something that we need to go to. Yeah, and you might just end up seeing the you know, the usual, one of them gets the early hook, whether it's Fred or Kyle, and you bring in one of the microwave scorer guys, and then right. the other guy starts the second quarter with the point guard you took out, and you maintain the the starting job for Fred, because you know, he hasn't done anything to lose it, that's for damn sure. It's a good problem to have. So many good players just overflowing. My arms are with good players. It's absurd. <laughs> and Davis. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought uh, yeah. After the first month of the season, where we always saw with seven guys. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I mean, in fairness, it, it really is only eight guys who I think I'd trust in a playoff series right now. Like, would you? I, I know we saw some nice minutes from Matt Thomas over the weekend with some nice rebounding and even some passable defense, and we've seen. Rondé had his moments, and Boucher's had his moments. Like, would you agree that the playoff reliable rotation, and I know McCaw will probably find himself in it, even though he shouldn't be, but, like, for you, would you say that the eight guys, like the seven trusted guys plus Davis would be, like, your playoff rotation if the playoff started today? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's uh, pretty fair assessment of the roster. I don't think... Uh, yeah, if Davis can... St- steadily continue to cement himself over McCaw, then um, I would expect that to be the primary rotation. You know, in a pinch, maybe we'll see um, some Chris Boucher minutes if there's some extreme foul trouble or, you know, matchup demands it where he gets he gets a little bit of time at the four. Uh, the ninth guy uh, will probably, I'd like to like it to be Rondé ahead of McCaw. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think Rondé is probably the only guy that would figure in there. Um, especially, you know, just looking at, say, a Boston series where they've just got all those wings. And so you need you need that size uh, to defend them as well. Yeah, Rondé's an interesting one, man. I, I think, like, his defense will probably have a moment at some point where you need to put him in there, like against the Boston, for example. Like, if you need someone to throw on Jason Tatum because OG is tied up with Jalen Brown and you don't want to overexert Siakam. At the same time, like, his shooting is such a liability. I think you can really only use Rondé as a small ball center and have him be the screener. Maybe maybe it works with, with Gasol if Gasol is going to hang out at the elbow in space, but... Like, I, I don't think you can really afford, and this is how the Nets used him in the playoffs last year against Philly. It was basically only as a small ball center. 
like, do you think that is something like, we, like that could work against like a Daniel Tice or in a first round series? Could you get away with it against? I mean, the Magic or the or the like the the Nets like I, that's even a tougher one too. But I guess if the Nets have like Jared Allen, maybe you can sort of go small and you know press your advantage a little bit against them. I don't know. Rodney's a weird one, man, because he's been so fun in his fun moments this year, and he's had his like obvious you know not so great stretches as well. And he's so weird to watch and falls down a lot. I just I don't know if there's a lot of playoff utility for a guy who's that much of a nothing shooting, considering how much of the Raptors' danger kind of stems from the fact that they usually have five shooters on the floor at all times. Yeah, but I, I feel like it's become uh, he's he's become more useful because of Serge Ibaka. And, right. you know, whereas before you would have said, you you know, playing Serge Ibaka and Rondé, and now you've got two non-shooters. The way Serge Ibaka shot the ball from the three, the way he's improved uh, as a facilitator of the offense, I think that has opened the door for Rondé, you know, to be a small ball center, as you said, offensively, but then defensively they can still have Serge, uh, you know, protect the paint, and Rondé can be out there defending a wing. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think if Ibaka can continue to shoot the ball the way he has and, and you know, not be the black hole uh, offensively that he's been in the past, then I think that opens the door for Rondé uh, to have a bit more utility for Nick Nurse in the rotation. Yeah, it's, it's again, for them good problems. <laughs> you know, your ninth <laughs> yeah. man is one of the best on-ball defenders there is, and, you know, maybe he won't fit on offense, but everyone else is such a good shooter that it might work. Um, man, this team's really goddamn good, <laughs> as it turns out. Very, very fun stuff. Uh, we'll continue the conversation in uh, just a second. I want to talk about Fred Van Vliet. But first, I want to remind you that if you are a local company looking to reach a local podca- podcast audience, you can check out Locked On. You can text us at 33777 or visit com advertising to learn more. We'd love to hear from you. It's a great way to get in touch with a local fan base with uh, disposable income and all that good stuff. So please get in touch. You can also email me directly at sean.woodley1 at gmail.com if you'd like to advertise locally with Locked On Raptors or any of our Locked On Toronto shows. we got Blue Jays and Leafs as well. All right, let's get to the Fred Van Vliet Secure the Bag meter. Play the drop. Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. All right, Vivek, Fred Van Vliet, back in the news, contract-wise. Uh, I'm curious to see what you think the sort of last week's events have done to Fred Van Vliet's potential salary. I believe the last time I did one of these, I was solo, and it was after one of Fred's rougher stretches. And I think I threw out the you know 15 to 18 number again after a stretch in which I was pretty sure he was going to get 25 or, or more than that after Brian Windhorst suggested 30 million could be on the table for Fred Van Vliet um, so there's been quite a range of potential salaries with the secure the bag meter for Fred Van Vliet Vivek if you had to guess right now is Fred Van Vliet or what is Fred Van Vliet going to make you know Blake Murphy had a great piece today uh, laying out sort of the the numbers and the money that would kind of be available for Fred VanVleet this summer, depending on you know what Pascal Siakam does in terms of all NBA and whatnot, and added uh, money to his contract. Uh, lots of different variables at play. 
there's now a team in Detroit that doesn't really have a point guard and doesn't really have any hope at all and has a lot of salary cap space and is really the only team out there with a lot of cap space that could potentially make a move for Fred. Uh, the Hawks ate into a lot of their space, getting all the centers in the world. The Grizzlies tied up their cap space. You would assume that the Cavs are hoping that Andre Drummond will eat up some of their cap space next season. So there's not a lot of teams out there. Where where are you at right now with Fred Van Vliet? Are you concerned he's going to be outside the Raptors' price range? How much will he get if he were to uh, go into contract negotiations today? Yeah, I feel like over the last month or two, I've settled into four years and $70 million kind of being a sweet spot where I think both sides could be happy. Uh, I haven't read Blake Murphy's piece yet, so I don't know. Uh, where that stands in terms of the cap sheet and all that but um, I feel like that is the range that I'd be comfortable with if you push it to four years 80 million uh, I don't know where that puts the cap situation in uh, 2021 but that's still something that I'd be comfortable with even though it'd be you know getting towards that high end um, and then yeah anything higher than that the, you know you, you really gotta sort of sit and think about it um, at the end of the day I think the priority should be to re-sign him. I, I don't think you should be putting, uh, you know, your eggs in, ba- in the basket for 2021 when you when you can have someone signed up right now. Uh, so I would lean towards, you know, regardless of what it comes down to, re-signing Van Vliet because, I mean, let's face it, the, the Bucks look really, really good. And if they go to the finals, if they win a championship, the odds of Giannis leaving uh, slim down quite a bit. So... I'd rather have the guarantee of knowing that Van Vliet will be together with Siakam uh, than going sort of into 2021 not knowing. Yeah, I think I've been talked into just paying whatever it takes for Fred. Like if the Pistons come with an offer of four years, 28 per, even then I, I might just say do it. Because a couple things, like first of all, that Norm Powell option, you know, who, who knows if he picks it up considering the way he played this season. If he can carry that through next season, he might opt out and be a pretty well-paid man. And also, you can probably move off that deal if it's an expiring contract for like 11 million bucks and he decides to pick up the option. Like that's probably a move, even if you have to attach like a second or something to it, you can probably get off that pretty easily in a summer where a lot of teams are going to have cap space to potentially exploit the the teams that you know need to free up space to go do their free agency plans and also like Fred VanVleet at 25 to 28 million you can still probably trade that if you need to as well right like if if Detroit was ready to offer him that money this summer and they strike out because he sticks with the Raptors and you end up in a situation where Giannis is available maybe the team doesn't want to help you but maybe Detroit is sitting there with no point guards and no hope and says all right we'll take him now and then you can facilitate facilitate that trade a year later and you you're not any worse for it and so yeah i i think it's probably going to fall in somewhere between like 21 and 24 a year at this point um you know the lack of competition out there is is nice but also the the pistons having really nothing else going for them outside of this like hypothetical offer one day for Fred VanVleet Maybe that compels the number to go up, and you're and then you're bidding between the Raptors and the and the Pistons, and maybe Fred doesn't want to play for the Pistons because the Pistons are a shit show and they're terrible, and they will be for a long time. And maybe he wants to stay in Toronto, where it's been really good for him. And you know, the the and one release they had yesterday talked a lot about his you know with Canada and, and the role in Canada and everything like that. So maybe he's more inclined to stick around. But I, even then, I think 
keeping the asset and not to talk as about humans as assets or anything like that, but keeping Fred and just matching whatever deal does potentially come in, even though it's unrestricted and he can go wherever he wants. But if it's the money thing, I think the Raptors should be topping any offer at this point, just because I think it's movable down the line. Do you do you agree with that? Like, do you think if he was on $28 million a year for four years, that could be a movable contract a year from or a year after it's signed? Uh, yeah, it, it's movable. Um, man, that's, that's, that's a lot of money. That is a uh, lot of scratch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think, like I said, at the end of the day, if, if it means you guarantee Van Vliet together with Siakam, I think uh, that's a really effective duo that's going to keep the team uh, at a very competitive level. Uh, and again, you know, part of this too is Siakam having such a great relationship with Fred, right? And you, you don't want to break that apart. So, um, yeah, I think Fred should be feeling pretty secure about his situation. Um, I do think uh, being in a winning situation, being in a contending situation, uh, can buy the Raptors a bit of a discount compared to whatever Detroit or the Knicks or you know the Hornets might have to offer. Um, but yeah, I think uh, maybe Atlanta becomes interesting for him. I don't know. Um, but defensively, uh, you know, playing beside Trey Young is a lot different than playing beside Kyle Lowry. So uh, yeah, I think. I, I, I think Fred will recognize that Toronto is the best situation for him. Um, and so hopefully that results in a bit of a discount because, yeah, it, I, as movable as $28 million might be uh, to, with certain teams, uh, I would much rather keep him closer to the $20 million mark um, and sort of look at 25 as sort of a ceiling. Fair enough. Uh, we'll see. I guess it's. Uh, I think the next couple of months will obviously determine a lot, and his playoff performance will turn determine a lot as well. If he goes ice cold like he did for the first two rounds last year, maybe that uh, colors people's perceptions of him a little bit. We shall see. That was the Fred Van Vliet secure the bag meter. I think edition number four. We'll probably do a couple more by the end of the season. Uh, Vec, I think that's about it. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? I did a piece to piece today for uh, Raptors Republic. Um, just sort of assessing where the Raptors are at this point of the season. I, I've been doing sort of a breakdown of how um, the teams with a positive net rating have fared against each other versus how they fare against everyone else. And so the Raptors have been steadily, steadily moving up the table in that regard. So, so this is probably uh, the highest they've placed in uh, this season. Uh, and, you know... I don't think that's a reflection of what they are as a team. It's more the fact that they've had to deal with so many injuries when going up against these uh, other elite teams. So, yeah, you can go check that out on Raptors Republic. Um, Besides that, I'll have more work coming out for Complex soon enough. And you can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks so much for coming on. You can find uh, me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff that we always ask you to do. Very much appreciated when you do that. Of course, the whole Locked On Podcast Network is your oyster if you're looking for the local perspective on all the big stories and all the big four sports, plus the NCAA as March Madness draws near. 
And that will do it. I'll be back again tomorrow, probably do an episode from the Wolves game tonight as D'Angelo Russell, I think, makes his debut with the Wolves and that super bizarre team. I've never had less of an idea of what to expect from a team going into a game this late into the season, so that should be a lot of fun. We will uh, chat about that tonight at the game. And that is all. We will talk to you then with another episode of Locked on Raptors.